We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You're going to follow me on Twitter. And it's Monday, March 6th. And you know what we do on Mondays? It's Mondays with McCool. We talk to James McCool, co author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com as well as the advanced course, which includes James's custom Excel tools. If you're in the YouTube chat, feel free to post. Post whatever you want in the YouTube chat. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. Hit the thumbs up button. Hit smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Good morning, early birds. Suki Singh, Guataz, Defic, Beat, 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 Boz. James didn't have a very. I didn't have a very good MMA slate uh, over the weekend. Uh, minus one hundred percent. Ooh, that's rare. That's rare for that, you. That's, that's, it's rare. I, I played ten lineups. Didn't cash any of them. And that's what'll happen when uh, uh, the t- the two most overowned fighters make the optimal line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it, it was a it was a high scoring card too, right? Like there were a whole bunch of guys one fifteen plus, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I mean, basically, basically, my 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 strategy was uh, to pretty much not have much of either five round fight, and uh, John Jones was thirty eight percent owned. And he won early uh, against Gon and then crushed him pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Alexa Grasso upset uh, Valentina Shevchenko, and she was the only underdog that won on the entire slate. Ah, yep. And right. I had her as I had her as the most overowned. She was thirteen percent owned, and I still had her as the most overowned <laughs> fighter on the slate. So, uh, so I didn't have any of her. Like it's good. It's good for sharp players when underdogs win, right? Yep. Especially if they're, they're underdogs that are not the higher owned underdogs, like Jalen Turner was high owned, and uh, and 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 he lost, and and uh, 
Mana Martinez lost. I mean, there, there were, I mean, all the underdogs lost except for one. Uh, and then Drickus Duplessis, who was like one of the popular mid-range fighters. I didn't have much of him, and he put up 115 points. So it was, it was, uh, it was, it was not very, not very, not very good for my my leverage lineups. Uh, and 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 the, a lot of what I had that did win just didn't score very well. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's like, oh, okay, I, I have, I have, I have, I have four winners in my lineup, but four low scoring winners. So don't even cash there. So not, not, not a particularly good MMA card for me. But Mike Brown, H three Buddha. Uh, very good one for him. Yeah, uh, his first ever, his first six plus figure, uh, six figure uh, win. He came in first and really? like third. Good for him. Well, he split for first with one lineup and then came in like second or tech, the second best lineup, yeah. which was third place. So he 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 took home like close to like one hundred forty thousand. Good for him. Uh, I okay. So this leads to a question for you: Would you rather play ten lineups in MMA? And go negative a hundred percent, or play the play NBA, NBA DFS at all. Play NBA DFS last night, where three sixty seven did not cash high dollar entries. Well, I mean the, the the score is only is only relative to the to the chalkiness of of the value. I, I understand that, but just answer the question: Which one feels worse? Minus one hundred percent feels worse. I don't know about that. I think I think that playing NBA DFS is one worse than playing MMA DFS. And two, if I nail a whole bunch of players, but everybody else nails other players, and it just ends up being a slate where 367, which wins GPPs a lot of nights, ends up not even min cashing, uh, that feels considerably worse. I think that has to do more with my disdain for NBA DFS than anything. But just a tragic slate they they had tyus jones did you did you look at the nba slate yesterday no of course not uh, okay. all, but all i know is that it seems like every day in nba uh DraftKings has like 700 mispriced players yeah because of injuries and starting lineup rotations where it becomes play all play you can play that and it's not like you can play them all because there's like too no. many of them so no. it's like kind of like here's 15 people that could go 10x, and then, then you build build you build three 8k plus players around them, and as long as you get like five the five five of the 18 value guys that put up 40, and then like like guys that you, you got the studs that put up 60 plus, like that's how you win. But the thing is, is that there's like 15 people that could put up 40 point 40 points for 5k or less. Yeah, that and that's the problem here is. First off, I want to point out, uh, John Morant is suspended, all right, because he's a moron, because he did moronic things on the internet, and he he tried to do some dumb stuff, okay? So he's he's suspended. Uh, DraftKings knew about the suspension, all right? Like, we knew it was coming. Uh, Are you going to tell me that Tyus Jones was still only like 3,600 or something? (laughs) 3,100. Jordan, he's 4,500 on a normal slate. They priced him down. They priced him down. I, it, it just, it's insane. So first off, I just wanted to point that out. That's why the slate was such a train wreck yesterday. He put up 55 fantasy points or something at 3,100. All right. Everybody starts with 18X player in their lineup. Well, how, how owned was he? 
Uh, he must have been 85% under something. Okay, so under-owned then. Under-owned. Under-owned. Absolutely under-owned. 100% under-owned. Um, and then the other part, like what you were saying, where there's 15 players on a slate that can go 10x, and you have to hope to to land five of them and then have the right AK plus players, that's to min cash. Because like to win a GPP, there's 15 players that can 10x. There's another 10 that can 9x. There's another 20 that can 8x. And so you have a player pool. Legitimately, player pools right now are like 65, 70 players that are that are worth playing on a slate on, on any given like eight plus game slate. It's insane this year. Even landing the good plays does not mean that you did well on a slate. Well, that because means you like, just have to adjust. I mean, to me, it uh, what if what, complaining or whatever, it just means that if you if you have if you have a 4k guy mm-hmm. that puts up 35 points, like that's not worth playing anymore. No. Like like that that when people are comparing scores to last year or or sure. a normally priced slate, it 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 comes down to well if the pricing is off by that much where it used to be it used to be it used to be that if you had a if you had a a 5k guy, mm-hmm. right, that puts up 40 35 points be like that guy could be in the winning lineup. It's oh, like yeah. now we can't. Now now that that's not now that's literally not good enough. If you have a if you have a three K guy that puts up twenty five points, nope, not good enough for the opportunity cost. You like mm-hmm. you need to you need to aim aim for higher because of how mispriced mis quote unquote mispriced everyone is. And no, just it's just the threshold has gotten has gotten well, higher. Here's what I would argue. I agree with you on that that the threshold has gotten higher. There's a couple dynamics at play this season, specifically compared to last seasons. You're right not to compare to the threshold that you needed in prior seasons. But I think that it's not just the threshold that's changed. It's the variance of the plays that are good or bad. Like the with such a wide selection, I think that it just has added randomness into this into what NBA used to be such like a, a good mathematical game. Um, and that's why everybody has always said, like, nobody loses at NBA DFS. Because if you played the best plays, quote-unquote, then you were usually good. The problem is now that there are 27 best plays. You can't possibly, like, and, and like... Yeah, you 12, build 150 lineups with all 127, you can't lose, right? No, no, no. But that's that's just 27 value plays, Jordan. Like, the so the permutations have gone so wide as to what is considered, like, a plus EV option that I think that it has made it really, really hard to, especially for single entry and three max players, which is, I, I work a lot with single entry and three max. That's a lot of people that are over at Pater. Um, for single entry and three max, it has just become this exercise of variability and just hoping that like your five value plays out of the pool of 27 value plays are the five that end up being good enough because Aiming high, I think that you're already aiming high with value plays. Like if you have five guys that project for seven to eight X or something like that, I'm not sure that you can aim much higher than that because median expectation can't be higher than that, right? Right. But um, if if there are so many of those players available, 
then it just becomes spinning a roulette wheel and hoping that you end up on the guys that end up having that huge ceiling game rather than just a regular ceiling game or their median expectation of 7x. So NDA DFS this year, I think, has been materially different in that trying to nail all of the value that you need rather than just like the main one or two guys, I think has been much more necessary than in years past. And I think that it has been, been much more variable. Welcome to DFS. Isn't that what you got to do? And, and, and any sport and any sport. Yeah. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm drawing, I'm drawing thoughts based on this NBA season compared to last NBA season. Right. Cause I mean, like, let's say if you take the threshold down lower and it's like, Oh, before they were 27 belt. Well, how about a slate with like almost no value plays? Then you're still in the same spot. It's like, oh, look, there's 27 people that are projected for about right. the same. And, right. And so I'm you're not, doing the same exact thing. I'm not arguing that it has never been that you have to have the best plays. Like, yeah, that's that's DFS. I totally agree. I, I'm saying that for single entry and three max players, I think that it has been harder this year than it has in prior years. That's that's the only point that I'm trying to make. And I do think that that is true. Well, coming up uh, for, for this year, is it going to be harder than prior years? Is uh, MLB DFS. We talked about this last week a little mm-hmm. bit. We started to talk about it, about the, these new the new MLB rules. So what are, what, what these new MLB rules, like, okay, so we have, we obviously seen the pitch clock. Yep. They're, they're, what are they doing with the defensive shifts now? That they, they're, they're, you can't just willy nilly make defensive shifts. So, yeah, so it's uh, there's there's a dedicated alignment on the infield now. So in the infield, you can't shift over like your second baseman or your your shortstop over in the infield now. There's dedicated positions of first, second, shortstop, third. So so basically, the shortstop and third baseman can't can't uh, defensively line up on the other side of second base. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the second baseman and first baseman can't line like. Right. Basically, you could only have you could essentially only have two infielders on one side of second yeah. base. Yep, that's right. But so, the outfield is outfield. You could do whatever you want. Yeah, outfield is completely yeah, is completely free game, and we and, have but, but the outfielders must must be on the grass. Yes, and we have seen that happen against Joey Gallo. I think this year was it Joey Gallo. There was one player I did see that they did an outfield shift. Against. So we do know that it's going to happen against certain players that are extreme pull hitters. Um, and, and they're just going to like force these guys to try to make a play to the outfield to the other side. So um, we do have that. Yeah, it was against Gallo the other day. So yeah, yeah he said NMJ says in the chat, uh, basically the left fielder playing with a second baseman used to mm-hmm. when the shift was allowed. That's why I said as long they're moving the left fielder to the grass of the second baseman outfield, like right. in the outfield. So it's kind of like, it's you're kind of playing like a second baseman, but like really deep second baseman. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But obviously you're leaving no one in left field because most likely he's not hitting the ball there anyway. And that's, um, that's going to improve offense a lot. I think for guys who can actually like learn to beat that, there's going to be some doubles that are just so annoying this year. <laughs> Because somebody's gonna hit one down the line, it's gonna turn into a double for like the slowest designated hitter. It's gonna be like Nelson Cruz hits a double on a dink to the left or something like that. It's gonna be really annoying. Um, but yeah, so that that's the shift rules. Okay. Any, uh, anything? Anything else in the, in yeah, the rules? So the the bases are larger, significantly okay. larger. 
Okay. Uh, and that's going to lead to an increase in steals. We have already seen that there has been a 20 plus percent increase in steals in spring training based on prior years. Um, we have seen that because is that going to is that going to that when we say an increase in steals, I think that may be a misnomer. I think it's an increase in uh, successful steals. Well, no, because there's there's another part of the rules that makes it so the increases in steals is going to be there. Uh, well, uh, is there anything in place that will incentivize teams to steal more? Yes, the and pitcher can't step off the mound more than once per at bat. Or more than once per like, I thought I thought it was two, or is it two? Okay, yeah, two pickoff attempts. Yeah, limited to two pickoff attempts. That's massive, right? Because once he does two pickoff attempts, you know he can't do it anymore. And right, you know. exactly. So the bases are larger, and there's only two pickoff attempts. So steals are going to be a massive thing this year, like a like a notably large improvement. Anybody who has steel equity in their kit is going to be able to really pump up their numbers here and, and be really much more valuable. That's if they choose to, but that's if they choose. I mean, you look, look at, look at, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to relate it to like, uh, like uh, football coaches. Uh-huh. Like you, you can give them all the rules and all, like, dude, we can make it so that you like that you incentivize. We can make it so that, that the cornerbacks can't mm-hmm. be more than three like miles uh, of a receiver on the field. And like, the, these teams will run on on second and eight for two yards. I mean, yeah, like, but, what but but we have so like yeah, like you also need need the managers that are they've been told, especially by their analytics department for so long that that going for steals is not necessarily the most useful. You know, it's not worth getting the out at second base. Mm-hmm. That now with the 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 bags being a little larger and the two pickoffs attempts, you still need you still need managers that are willing to give the sign to gay. Right, that, but we've seen that like even a if Billy Hamilton isn't on the bases, that some you could go go for it if you can. Yeah, but we've seen a twenty five percent increase That's in years. Training, who cares? Yeah, yeah, but like we're like if you're still measuring against spring training, we're not we're not saying that it's a twenty five percent increase on the regular season. We're saying that's twenty five percent increase on prior spring trainings. Like okay. that matters. That matters. So in attempts or or in success? Uh, I'm pretty sure both. Pretty sure that, okay. that it's a, a significant improvement on both. Uh, we have also seen an improvement on batting average on balls in play. So BABIP has gone from like. Well, that, that's expected. I mean, with the shift alignment, with the shift that is dynamics a, now, right. you have to expect BABIP to go up. Maybe maybe batting average doesn't go up, but at least at least it's not going to be this thing where most of the time when you put the ball in play, that's not over the fence. Right. And and you're and you're hitting it, it with your you know righties are hitting towards left field and lefties are hitting towards right field, mm-hmm. and unless they're they're trying to hit to the other direction, like Babbitt is going to be very low because you have all the all the gut all the fielders you have seven guys there to 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 get the ball. Right. So we have seen an increase in uh, batting average on balls in play for sure. I think it went from like two forty to two seventy something like that thirty point increase. Um, again, this is based on prior string trainings. Um, so we, we are seeing more people on base and we are seeing more stolen bases. Um, and then we are also seeing a pace of play down. And I imagine that the good pitchers are going to also see an increase in, um, in upside. And, and the reason for that is with pitcher calm, because that's the other change that we see, like we have the pitch clock, but we also have pitcher calm. So, Pitchers are calling their own stuff from the mound now. 
They're not waiting to see what they're they're going to throw. They're having that conversation ahead of time. So what we're seeing is an increase in speed of pitches delivered. And we're also seeing that pitchers are able to do more of what they want to do and accomplish more of what they want to accomplish. So, that a good thing? But hey, for some pitchers, that, that may not be a good thing. That's what I just said. So good pitchers, I think, are going to see a ceiling increase, like the, the Max Scherzers and um, I think the smart pitchers, you know, the guys that are really, really good at tunneling, the guys who understand their stuff, have great command. I think that we'll see some pretty notable increases for them as well. Um, but but, for but maybe, maybe, maybe the decreases, I mean, we're theorizing here. We are. But I, I'm, think, I'm thinking of guys like, like, like Hunter Green, mm-hmm. like – that like the guys, the fireball guys. Yeah. Like to me, I could even see them being even wilder. Yeah, I could do where, where they're just like, well, they're, they're young. They throw hard and either they get, they're going to give up more home runs that this is purely, I'm just, this is complete theory is that I'm just picturing a 23 year old kid, 24 year old fireballer that has to pitch within 15 seconds Yeah, and never had very good command to begin with. Just throws hard. And he only has two pitches. So he has like mm-hmm. like a fastball and some secondary pitch that is halfway decent. And that's why he's in the majors. Uh, and he just defaults to just, uh, uh, oh, oh, crap, I got to go. I'm just yep. going to throw it hard. Yep. And which means that the batters are going to be more likely to be able to call fastball, mm-hmm. knock and knock him out of the game, you know, hit a home run. Or he's just going to be so wild because he doesn't have like some 36-year-old catcher calming him down you know every every pitch and go okay let's let's try it here let's try it there and he's just gonna get rattled i mean this is pure pure theory it could be the opposite it could be some hey some of these kids maybe they come up and they just like okay all i have to do is don't think about anything and just throw it hard and they get 17 strikeouts i mean like it could be that yeah i i I can agree with that i think that's a that's fair point um there's going to be guys where I'm trying to think of who, like two pitch guys. I think that's a really good point. Guys who only have a fastball and a slider, and and are going to panic and say, "Oh well, I just need to get this pitch off." Like he he doesn't have time to figure out what he needs to do, so he's just going to throw another fastball and hope that he gets it past him. And especially in situations where it's like an O three count, and he needs to get a strike in there, and he's just like, "All right, well, I'm just going to try to blow it past him twice." Like that's that's going to be tee off season for a lot of the hitters that are able to find these fastballs. So um, I, I think that that's going to widen. Maybe maybe I shouldn't say it'll it'll raise the ceiling of good pitchers. Maybe it'll widen the range of outcomes for all pitchers. Let's let's say that. I think that's a fair way to put it. But do you think it's in? Do you think the pitch count is in favor of the pitchers more than the hitters? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do you want to know why? Well, I, I mean, I mean, I theorized about about one thing. I mean, I mean, I saw I saw clips of like in spring training where, like, like there are pitchers that are striking people out in like like twenty two seconds. Yeah, because so, the batter the batter doesn't even have to, like the batter kind of like steps out, not just steps one foot out and is like, oh no, I gotta just I gotta stay in here. Like they're not they, the batters are not used to having to be ready. They're used to yeah. They mean, yeah, they're not allowed to step out and walk around like they used to, but at least they were like, okay, I could get, okay, get my grip good, get my, get, dig in a little bit more, do the little, little thingy thing, like with the bat and what, like, like, no, 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 it's like, you, you don't step out at all. This pitcher is just going to get the ball back and he's on, he's, he's ready to go. Yep. 
Yeah, so the the reason why pitchers will benefit from this is first move advantage. So in in every competitive game, first move advantage ends up winning out over time. Uh, And pitchers just have not, one, they haven't really had the ability to abuse it in baseball because of what you were talking about with hitters just like walking around and sipping a margarita while they wait to like get ready to go up to bat. But two, they also haven't had the pitch clock egging them on to then abuse it as well. So it's been on both sides. I think that both hitters and pitchers have been waiting and like trying to do this, this mental game. But now I think it's going to become much more brute. And I think that first move advantage is going to be really, really important for pitchers. So what I, what I theorize is going to happen here is hitters are not going to be ready to deal with pitchers that are abusing the pitch clock. So like we saw Max Scherzer, he got set and he sat there and he did not move because once the pitcher is set, he can now pitch as soon as the batter steps in the box. Right. And we saw him get set. The, the hitter called time, stepped back for like three seconds. As soon as he was in stance, Max threw a fastball straight past him. Like he can't, you can't touch that. That hitter's not going to be ready for it. So I do think that pitchers, so long as they understand that they have first pitch advantage, again, this is this is going to come to if a pitcher is waiting. I, I mean, Sonny Gray, for instance, like he might not use first pitch, first move advantage. Sonny Gray well may not be in the league anymore with this pitch. I don't sure, know. Yeah, yeah. I, like, he took like, like thirty seconds. What? Like, and do we have stats on that? Do you? Because uh, do I'm assuming I could ask Cardi maybe if he has the data on. What are the pitchers like this? Is, here, here's here's a, here's a theory to throw out that you could test, yeah, or at least start the test. Is the pitchers that normally like? Let's say, let's say we have a pitcher. I'm, I, we're using Sonny Gray is the, the 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 example on the other side of the spectrum. But let's say there was a pitcher that their average time between pitches was 14 seconds. Yeah. So it's like, well, within 15 seconds, like is. Should the clock have much of an effect on him? Then it, there's there there are ones that 17 seconds, 18 seconds. So there's a three second gap. Now Sonny Gray is like 28 to 30 seconds between pitches. <laughs> is there going to be what's the? Is it going to be? I'm gonna have, it would have to assume negative effect on like what is Sonny Gray going to look? What what is his performance going to look like now? And it could be the other way where ah, it turns out when he throws quicker, he's actually better. And he, what he was doing before was the bad thing. But, like, there has to be some way of measuring, like, and adjusting for, like, pit, there are certain pitches that pitch fast. Piss, between pitch is fast as it is and some that are really long that is there going to be that big of an adjustment? I mean, I, obviously, we're dealing with no sample size. But as Cardi would say with some of this stuff when it comes to pitching, this seems like something that would be that would normalize not quick but quicker than other stats cuz like mm-hmm. what normalize means just just to highlight like pitch speed is quick to normalize why because that's not going to how how varying is a pitcher's speed from game to right. game right so if like he's th- his first start he's throwing his fastball at 96 miles an hour and then the next start he throws it at like 93 miles an hour and the next start he throws it at 95 miles an hour like you know you're not gonna see like like oh well maybe he throws it at 91 the next game it's like no like it's gonna be within that range of like pitch speed 
and the same thing is with with in between pitches. The time in between pitches is going to be fairly consistent, like in the past for that past data. That I would say, like the effects of that on the pitch clock on the the pitcher stats could be noticeable quicker than needing. We need five seasons worth of data in order yeah. to you know to get anywhere close to one standard deviation. But I think it'll be it'll be fairly within a within a month or two figuring out if if the if the even if the pitch clock has any predictive power and some type of dynamic on any of the stat categories. Well, yeah, I I think that it's hard to say. I think it's hard to say because if we look at like with with the example of Sonny Gray, he takes 30 seconds pitch. Um is that because he can't pitch quickly or because he has not tried, right? If he has tried and he's bad at it, then it might be a disaster for him, but he might get better at it. We don't know. If he has not tried and he ends up being incredible with it, then is that going to stick? Or is he then going to kind of fall apart a little bit because he got a little bit lucky at the beginning? We don't know. Um, for hitters, I think that it's really interesting to look at because hitters kind of train to hit a certain way their entire lives. Like it's really hard. We'll, we'll see hitters change their stance in small incremental ways. Like maybe Cody Bellinger, instead of holding the bat up here, holds it down here, right? Like we'll, we'll see these incremental changes, uh, that are noticeable if you, if you're, if you know what you're looking for, but if you don't, then it's kind of hard to view. Um, somebody having their hips widened out a little bit or keeping their hands tighter or looser or whatever. But these changes are made in the off season. And then when you come into the season, there's very little time to make adjustments. So for hitters, if you've kind of worked your entire life into a rhythm, cause we know that hitters hit in a rhythm and the pitch clock makes it so you can't get into a rhythm. I don't know that that normalizes across the league. Maybe it normalizes on a hitter basis. Maybe like straight up now, Josh Donaldson literally cannot hit a pitch anymore. And he's old, so he might just be dust anyway. But like maybe Josh Donaldson goes from being like a, a, a 280 average hitter to like a 210 average hitter. Now he just sucks. But I don't know if that normalizes across the league more than it normalizes at a player level. It's hard to say. I, I'm not sure. I think, I, I think all of this is hard. I mean, that's why... Now, that's why I mean, it's three weeks before the season. I'm trying to figure out the main thing that we're trying to figure out here. Okay. You, 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 James, yeah. and even, even Cardi, you like figuring out this type of stuff to figure yeah. it out as an intellectual challenge. Me, how does it make me more money? Right. And in DFS or, or in, in sports betting or in prop betting and stuff like that, I could see the issue with the benefiting I can see, in general, I think the game will still be three outcome based. I still think yeah. it's, it's, we're not going back to the mid 80s Cardinals teams, two to one National League baseball. No, because pitchers are too good now. Pitchers right. are too good now. So we can't have that. Right. So it's still going to be geared towards it's either going to be a walk, a strikeout, or a home run type of a thing, but it's going to be a little bit less of it. A little bit. The bat, the bad bip is going to go up which means we're going to get some more hits and doubles and people on base and things like that. Uh, 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think the effect from a from a D, like a DFS perspective is that this is more likely to benefit correlation mm-hmm. than it is than anything. Actually, we're gonna go. We're gonna lean back because when when it's like, oh, we have a twelve game slate, and a lot of people like you need if you're gonna stack five people, it's essentially like, do they do the Twins hit five home runs today? Right, right, like that type of thing, and then obviously. You know, there are benefits of correlation when one guy gets on base and then they, this guy hits a double, then the next guy hits a home run, like that type of stuff. But I think it'll maybe we get a 10% increase towards the more towards correlation if mm-hmm. the BABIP is going to be higher and and steals, steal attempts and the base, you know, the bases are going to be bigger, which means obviously even on tag plays on third from an outfield throw or even out a uh, sp- speed guy outrunning someone at first base on a ground ball. Yeah. The base is going to be bigger. The, it, the first baseman, the, the, the players can't block the base as much. Right. So I would, I would think that this benefits correlation definitely. And uh, regardless of the pitch count, like the, the pitch count stuff, it, how would you, how would you, how would you even, adjust for that from a DFS perspective. Like, well, I'll, if I think that this is a, this affects all pitchers in X way, mm-hmm. well then what, but how do I change? How do I change what I was doing before? Am I not playing Max Scherzer? No, no, I'm still playing Max Scherzer regardless, right? I'm still playing Verlander regardless. I'm still, I mean, I'm still, those are the best pitchers anyway. Like I'm, I'm not really changing anything. Uh, the only thing I'm, I'm not, I'm not changing stacking either in MLB, no matter what. But I just think that maybe the 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 lineups that are like three two two two, you know, like those types of lineups. I'm going to do a two 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 and a three two one one. Go a little bit less in value, not not out of value, but I just I just think that if there's going to be more balls in play, it benefits correlation. The steals go up, which means you could have. A guy get you know, guy gets three points for a single, steals second, has eight points, right? And then the next guy hits a home run. Well, you got the steal already. Like you get you had double steals. The steal the, the, the I can see there being a meta game with the steals because if there's only if they're if they're only allowing two pickoff attempts, does that really mean that they're only allowing one? 
Yeah. Because do you want do you want to be yeah. a pitch? Do you want to be a pitcher that has used two pickoff attempts, and then knowing that on the next pitch you can't make a move? Yeah. To a base, like you don't want to be stuck in that spot, right? You, you might as well go to the windup in that situation. And of course, once you go to the windup, I don't see why any like the dude, the slowest guy could steal second base from the windup position in the major leagues. So it's like, is it really that one pickoff attempt becomes the new two point pickoff? Like once the pitcher has tried to pick you off once, that should be the sign. After a while, when they see that pitchers don't do the second pickoff attempt, now people go on the uh, after the first pickoff attempt because they're like, nope, they don't want to get in a spot where where they can't throw the ball to first base anymore. Like, do you think there's some type of meta chicken game like that? And maybe that the pitchers don't, maybe the, the meta thing for pitchers is to never attempt to pick off. Yeah. Right. It's like, I'm, 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 it's going to be so rare that you're going to have to, you have to wait. You're never going to know when it's going to come. Yeah. I mean, obviously all this stuff is done to speed up the game, not necessarily make the, make the game of baseball better. But it's you're just trying to theorize how the players and how the managers are going to react to these these rules, and for the main purpose of a hey, hey, if steals are going to go up dramatically, like I wouldn't be on that, like dude, especially for sports betting. Yeah, I was going right? to say that's probably where you make the most money is like in the first month, just hammering overs on steals. Just anyone who can steal a base. Just bet the over on two stolen bases for like everyone, honestly. But but here, here here's here here's here's a, here. But here's a question: Is because of this new rule, how much of an effect of the of the pitcher mm-hmm. mattering? Because we 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 know the classic example: Noah Syndergaard, right? Awful. Uh, the, probably probably maybe one of one of the worst pitchers holding on runners in the history of Major League Baseball. Yeah. From a, and we have statistical proof of that. Yeah. Does it, how much does it affect those types of guys? Like, like, does it change anything? Like, like, does it really change anything for him at all? I mean, like. I Well, yes, kind of. Uh, only because I think that people will be more willing to go for steals now. They'll get used to it. Whereas like maybe in the past, we had, we knew that you always just, want to attack no Syndergaard of steals, but maybe managers who are old and decrepit did not quite grasp it. Right. And now I think they will be more willing or, or more understanding of that situation. Um, from a, how does this make me money standpoint? I think you're hammering the over on steals early in the season. Uh, be, but also I, I will say that I assume I have to assume that sports books will look at the increase in steals so maybe there won't be as much juice on that as I assume. Um, but from a stacking and from a DFS perspective, I think j- just based on all this, because we do think that good pitchers will be better. I think that bad pitchers will be worse and average pitchers will have higher variance. So th- this isn't anything groundbreaking, but attack bad pitchers more than you would before. Right, because like in the past, I, I think that you would want to take shots on like relative, like maybe slightly above average pitchers. Uh, like you you would want to attack them because there would be lower ownership on stacks. But uh, this year, I, I do think that bad pitchers, especially pitchers who struggle, like there there might be something where um, looking at the data and saying this guy is usually bad, 
the third time through the order, maybe the second time through the order now, guys just get cratered uh, because there's such a mental aspect to pitching. And if a guy gives up a home run and then has to pitch again in the next nine seconds or whatever, you're not quite over giving up that home run yet. And I think that that might lead to more chains. So I do think that stacking will be more important than before, like you said. Um, but I do think that the that the three three one one lineups or or whatever those are going to be, I do think that there will be such upside in stolen bases that one offs at second base and shortstop will be valuable. So that's that's the one like kind of specific theory that I'll have here is in the past. You kind of, if you were stacking a team, you kind of wanted to include the the catcher and the second baseman in that team because typically they're weak positions. So you're betting on correlation to carry those positions for you. Um, now I think that second base, since that's yeah, now, you, now you may get a Nicky Lopez three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right out yeah. of the blue, you know, like the, the 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 low end hitters that barely hit for power that you typically only yeah. use as a stack. Like Billy, well, I mean, Billy Hamilton is a, to me the quintessential example. Right. If he's still in the league, yeah. he typically gets a job somewhere, and he typically gets called up at some point where yeah. he's batting ninth. He has a he has a he has a an OPS of like one twenty, but if he gets on base, he can steal two. I mean, like yeah. his 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 outcomes are as wide as Joey Gallo's, just without home run. Like he'll yeah, never yeah, hit he, a home run. Yeah. Yeah, but he will zero. get 30 points in a game or zero yeah, in a game. Absolutely. So I, I think that we will see you'll you'll feel like you can one off second base a little bit more, one off shortstop a little bit more, I think. Maybe well, I think one shortstop's off more of a, I, truthfully, shortstop that's a kind of a position. Now. Shortstop has a lot of premium to it. Yes. But I, I do second think base that, is a little weaker. Yeah, I, I would agree. But shortstop, dude, we have Seeger and Turner, we have Seager, and, Turner. Mean, we have Correa. We like Correa yeah, yeah. Story. I mean, come on, shortstop is a power position. Yeah, shortstop has a lot of power, but it also has a lot of stolen base upside at the True. cheaper guys who hit towards the back of the order. Which is right. why I think that you'll be able, like, yeah, you have the power of Trevor Story, who can hit that home run and maybe get a double, get you nineteen, or you have the eight hole hitter Jorge Mateo. And he can get you now three stolen bases and a double. And like it's the the price difference there, Trevor Story being 5K or Jorge Mateo being 2,500, like that matters. I think that you're going to be able to see those opportunities a little bit more and uh, and not bank on correlation at at the cheap spots anymore. Maybe I should say that. Maybe I should say the cheap spots outside of catcher. I don't think you'll have to bank on correlation as much as you did before. Um that's probably like my main theory that. And I think that the high upside pitchers, any, any pitcher who is smart enough to abuse first move advantage, is going to be terrific to like, at least for like three months. Um, I, I'm not sure who that's going to be yet. Like, we'll see that's, that's the guessing game right now. We don't know who the pitchers are going to be. They're able to really abuse that. But um, I do think that we're going to see some guys who maybe are not the best pitchers in the world, but are smart and understand their pitches and understand tunneling and understand their abilities. I think those guys are going to have a higher floor and probably a higher ceiling than we have seen before. If you're, if you're a subscriber to the bat, which is available now, you could go, go Ooh. purchase that for the, for the MLB season, Cardi's uh, projection system that he, he's worked on for over a decade. Uh, the key questions with this new MLB rules for him, 
two guys we need to know how it affects the most. Number one is Drew Smiley, right? Okay. Is how much of it? I, I'm just picturing that the, the the two the poster the poster boys of the bat for pitcher, Drew Smiley, and for batter is Rugnet Odor. Like it's like <laughs> like what's the effect on those two guys? Then we can see how it affects the rest of the league because those are the two guys that the bat always 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 seems to love. But all it, and but it's not because what people get wrong is that oh the bat loves Drew Smiley and Rugnet Odor. It's like no, it's the DraftKings pricing algorithm hates them. Right. So like when they're actually like when Rugnet Odor is priced at four K, the bat doesn't love him or anything. No, well, just that when, when they price him at twenty eight hundred every slate, that's what happened. When Drew Smiley is sixty one hundred as a pitcher. When he should be like seventy eight hundred mm-hmm. from a point per dollar value, he's going to come across and the bat is very good. And then when DraftKings never raises his price, it's just going to consistently be that way the entire time. So like, it's not a thing that the projection system loves a guy. It's more that the pricing on the sites, though they never pri- they like they they it's they're always underpriced. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh... Smiley usually projects pretty well, but my my models usually tend to stay away from him because of things like true average and expected home run rates and stuff like that. Uh, Rogan Adador, I I don't know, man. I I think I think that I think Rognetador is probably going to be worse. Here's my theory on these two guys. I think Odor will be worse because uh, he is going to have to deal with the pitch clock and he's going to have to swing a lot. And all he does is just like swing and hope that he hits something. But I think that the pitches will come so fast. He won't be able to reset his stance as well. Uh, that's a completely baseless theory uh, for Drew Smiley. You, you acted like I was asking these questions like in legitimately. Well, I'm answering them legitimately. Uh, <laughs> so Drew Smiley. I think Drew Smiley will, will actually benefit from it. I think that he'll benefit from first move. That's my guess. Right. I, I was expecting a more facetious answer. No, 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 no. Here, then we're we're here for real answers here and and real suggestions. Uh, my real suggestion is that Kyle Bradish is going to be awesome this year. Oh, 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 oh! So that's your take. That's your hot take. That's going to be my hot take right now. Yeah. I so I I think that he, Kyle he, Bradish, does he still pitch for the Orioles? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. remember, remember, I don't know who's on what team until like the day before the first slate of MLB. Yeah, Kyle Bradish, uh, Kyle Bradish, and, and Brian Bayo for for the Red Sox. I think those guys both have a lot of upside, and they were both guys that my models liked a lot. Travers liked them a lot, so uh, I'm I'm hoping that Kyle Bradish ends up because my models just were absolutely in love with him last year, and I, I think they're going to continue to be this year unless you change things dramatically and. Um, usually when that happens, a pitcher sucks that year and then it's good the next year. <laughs> so, 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 so storm in your, what dynasty league or something. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. for the next year or, or keep best ball or whatever you're doing. I should have done best ball this year. I didn't do best ball for baseball and I should have, you, you I guess there's time, time though, right? You still have time. I don't know. I guess there's time, but I, I mean, now I have to build out the model. So like, I, I don't have much time to focus on best ball. Okay. Well, you could all, always use the bat. Cardi I could use that. the bat. No, that's true. I could. And I, and I love right. Cardi's model too. I think he's very right. good. And then you go to underdog, you use the promo code grinders, you get yeah. your $100 deposit match, and then you, you play some MLB baseball. There I you mean, go. I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing it, but I mean, there's, there is an edge there. There's an edge everywhere. That's why like NMJ says like, what's my MLB contest selection for this year? I, yeah, I'm going to be focused 
on the the three x five x style contests and uh, and the like the small field one twenty one two hundred dollar mm-hmm. four max type of stuff. Uh, that doesn't mean there is an edge in the large field. There's plenty of that. Dude, large field has the biggest edge. It's just the hardest yeah. to realize. I could, but I mean, I'm I'm not going to be in a position where I want to play fifty lineups in a night. But but I could. Like that's why the contest selection questions are kind of stupid. It's like there's there's eight hundred edges, but you're only one person. So like, take yeah. the ones that you think that you're the strongest and doing and willing to handle the variance, right? Because like I could say, oh, it's like uh, you know what the biggest edge contest there is in DFS. It's the NFL Millie Maker. That is the biggest edge available to you. Now are are you? Let's say let's say you're playing ten percent of your bankroll, which I think is too high. Are you going to just play? I'm going to max that out and play 10% of my bank. You're going to you're gonna be most likely 90 plus percent of the time you're going to end up broke or near broke, Yeah. even though it's the biggest edge. So it's like, are, if you're willing to do that, sure. Okay, go, go for it, I guess. But I mean, if you're not, maybe you only, maybe you only play 10 lineups into that contest. Maybe you just don't play any. It's the biggest edge contest, but from a, from a, a expected ROI within your lifetime type of thing and not an EV thing. It's like no, I I'd, I'd rather play the small field contest where it's it's there's still an edge, it's lower edge, but I still I'm more likely to realize that within the next three to five years than the millimeter. Yeah. Like so, like it's it's not a what that's why when people ask, well, what contest are you playing? Like I pl- I play a soccer cash games, and they go, well, I, I don't I don't I don't know anything about soccer. I said, yeah. Because I have an edge in soccer cash games. That's why I play soccer cash games. What do you have an edge in? Like the, the number one thing is, what do you have an edge in? And then if the answer is, I have an edge in 78 things, and then it's like, oh, well, which one should I play? Like, whichever. you If you could only play six of the 78, choose whatever six you want to. Some the, have here's, more edges, some have more varied. Whichever one you want. Here's the answer in a slightly less insulting way. Uh, you should play the contest that fits your goals. So Jordan's goals... But you need an edge. But, you, but but first, you need an edge. No, sure, sure. But like you don't, don't play contests where you don't think you're a winner. You right? don't even get into figuring out where your edge is until you figure out why you want to play. You, you should. You shouldn't even be playing. I want to make all the money, James. I want to make all the money. Yeah, yeah. I, well, yeah, that's, that, that's how most people look at it. But that's wrong. Uh, that like you should be playing in a way that fits your goals. And before you even start the MLB season, instead of asking Blender what contest he is going to play. You should be asking yourself what you want to accomplish with MLB DFS this year. And if the goal is to make secondary income, then you start thinking about that and you talk to people who make secondary income from it and pick their brain on how you should accomplish that. If your goal is to save up for a vacation at the end of the year, then you should think about how much money you need to make that and then look at what contests you have have an edge in and the best way to realize that edge in one year. And then if you want to just have beer money, if you just want to like make 200 bucks a month, then think about the best way to end up meeting that goal. If you want to go for a live final seat, like go for it. Absolutely. You go have fun and try to get yourself a live final seat. Understand that that goal is going to be very feature famine. And if you're going to attack that, then you have to understand that as well. So it's, it's more about, it's less about asking people what the best contest to play is. It's more about at figuring out why you want to play and the reasons why you play for any sport, for all of DFS, and then trying to figure out the best way to accomplish that goal. That's what it's more about. Right. My, my goal, I, I believe 
that uh, playing triple ups can tuple up type contest on both DraftKings and FanDuel, as well as, you know, making one or two, like $121, $200 single entry lineups uh, for both, both sites, as well as hitting prize picks and underdog, you know, when the boards first go up. Yeah. Right. The key is when the boards first go up that on my volume, I think, I think I have a, I have a very good chance of a, a near, a near, not a hundred percent chance, but a very, very high percentage chance that over the course of the MLB season, by the end of the MLB season, I'll, I'll make 50 to $60,000. There you go. And that's your goal is to make $56,000. That's, that's right. your goal. So that's, that's more what it's about. Um, I, I, I believe that that path, the path that I'm taking is the let the least variant path. Yeah. Because you don't want to make $250,000. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. The thing is I'm giving up the opportunity of having a 250 K season. Right. Or having a negative season. Right. Or having like, uh, I only made 10 K this MLB season or I, or I lost five K, but I had the upside of making 300,000. Like I'm, I'm giving up that, that range, but I'm increasing the like, I'm the likelihood of me losing money on the season right. is almost is nearly zero. Right. Is nearly zero. And the light and a bad season would be like, I only made 20 grand. Yeah. Right. I only made 10 or 20 grand. An average based on this would be, oh, I made 40, 45 grand. And like the goal, like 60th, 70th percentile is like 60, 70,000. Yeah. Then maybe if I run great, I make a hundred thousand. But on another, if I different play different contests and I run great, maybe I end up making a million dollars over the right. course of an MLB. If you run like the sun, right? But I now I'm taking away that variance, right? Because I don't want to even lose money. So like my goal is in that in that range there. So then if that's the goal, okay, then how do I manufacture that? Yeah. Like what contest and what what edges should I go after? Doesn't mean hey, the, I played plenty of seasons large field. I mean, a lot of my a lot of my years are large field GPPs, and you yeah. can see that you know I made eighty thousand in a year playing DFS, and it's like yeah, on big spikes and big downswings, and then by the end it's like there there it is at eighty eighty k, right? Maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Maybe yeah. I can. But it kind of sucks to play for four or five months and be like, just see your thing go, and then you question whether or not anything you're doing is okay. Yeah, and you're just you're just mainlining Arby's at this point. Like you you just hate yourself at that point. That's why I don't play like seriously anymore because I I figured out that my mental health and like my ability to run models is and and maintain my site is better when I'm not just tilted over the moon at a downswing lasting two months and worrying about if I'm going to be able to pay rent like that. It just doesn't work. That's why you only play a percentage of your bankroll. That's why you move up and down. You're on a downswing. Then you move down. Then you move up. Then you, I mean, most people aren't disciplined. I I am disciplined. Right. Because you're in it. Most people say, Oh, I lost a lot. I minus a hundred percent on MMA. That means I, James, on this next slate, I got to double down and get it back, right? Yeah, you do. no, you have to triple down because what if you have the nuts, Jordan? What if you have it? You could make, uh, you could make a hundred and seventy thousand dollars, right? I just got to triple down. I got to quadruple down. Yeah, you got to play more volume. 
You gotta play more. I gotta volume. play. I gotta 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 put it all in. Uh, we, it have, we have a couple questions here. So B shot asks, checking this morning, Tyus only seventy percent owned in my cheap SE GPPs. How does that happen? Uh, well, the the main thing here is cheap GPP. Um, cheap GPPs are typically gonna have less Probably. of the yeah less of the really really strong players. Um, and some people are just not paying as much attention. Some people fade it. Even the good players will sometimes look at a cheap SE GPP and just be like, ah, well, it doesn't matter, whatever. And maybe there's a CSV error or something like that. Um, he should have been 100% owned. I'm not sure exactly what he was owned in the large field stuff, but I know that he was like 85% owned in the in the 888. So um, it mostly just comes down to the people in your contest are softer. He must have projected for like 40 points. He projected for 35. 35 median? Right, so that's a ten, that's an eleven x. Yeah, that essentially that becomes a, a. I play him in every lineup. You lock him. You ju- you right. just start there and move along. Because like, you also he's, know that he's going to be under. Like the thing is, is that eighty five percent he's going to be under on also. Yeah. So it's not like it's like it's not like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna build for relative value purposes and have him be negative leverage. Like the, he's positive leverage even at that ownership. So yeah. Like, just, I mean, you, that, that all this, I'm assuming I could go to results DB and all the sharp players will have like him at like virtually a hundred percent. Yeah. He, they, they had to have, this was, this was this year's version of Gordon Hayward at min price. Like it just at 97% owned, maybe he's slightly over owned, but right. like, are you at that point? Does it matter? No, yeah, but he's not going to be 97% owned. but that's the, no. that's the thing. Cause people are gonna be like, Oh, I can't play the chalk. Like, okay, you don't understand what you're doing. No, so somebody somebody in my Discord was like, oh, yeah, that's a full fade. I was like, <laughs> no, he's under it No, it's not. Just don't play the slate. Right. Just don't play the slate. Well, that's, the, that's, the, that's one of the top things that people don't get about leverage is that it's not about chalk or not chalk. It's chalk or not chalk. It's over-owned or under-owned and how yeah. much they're over-owned and under-owned. Like, so there are plenty of times, and like we see in NFL, where, oh, oh the, the 40 $500 running back is going to be like 26% owned and one of the higher owned players on this late. I'm going to fade that guy. It's like, what if they told you he should be 45% owned? Yeah. Yeah. Like he's drastically under owned. You should be playing a ton of them. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and then uh, James Johnson asked, who do you got winning Toronto versus the Nuggets? Uh, I don't know, but my models will be up very soon and they'll tell you over at Pater. That's all your range of outcomes. Say that again. They'll tell you a range of outcomes. Well, no, I mean, the game betting model just gives you a money line in the spread. But but we can run range of outcomes for all the players in those games. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's at paydirtdfs.com. Yeah, paydirtdfs.com. Uh, just reformatted the NBA body, betting models. Botting models. Uh, betting models. And they, they're really slick now. You can run different stack categories and stuff like that. So you should go try that out. Um, and obviously, getting ready for baseball season. Baseball is the best. So we're getting getting stoked on that. And when you're getting ready for baseball season, go purchase the theory of DFS for advanced players. Get all, all your get six hours of audio and uh the custom Excel tools, especially if you're building a ton of stacks, right? You had you have in the in the portfolio trimmer and the stuff that it'll even show the, the stack. Yep. So you don't even have to you don't even have to go by like like, oh well, if this guy's in the lineup, that's a Dodger stack. It's like, no, like they you literally identify the, yeah. the MLB stacks. Yeah, and and I'm going to be adding some things onto those tools this week, getting ready for baseball season. Adding in like the ownership of the stacks and stuff like that too. So, in the um, portfolio trimmer. 
and the portfolio determiner, right? So Jordan is going to let me know the things that are on his wish list coming into the baseball season, and I'll add those things in, and and we'll get a, a, some nice upgrades and, and updates to the Theory of DFS before the baseball season. Right, and e- even if you have already purchased it, like you could always go and download the tools mm-hmm. from the site again yep. whenever there's an update. And James, you always send out an email. Yes, yep. Right, Here's a, a, I haven't seen an email in a while. No, we haven't done very many updates, uh, but right. I did figure out the MacBook issue, so I'll have a an email on that here pretty soon. Oh, the Ma- uh, it, it works on my it works on my Mac. That's because you have automation uh, macros enabled on your security settings. Default so MacBooks do not. Yeah, but all you have to do is change that setting. Right, but we didn't know that, so people were like, it it was so. Oh, so, so basically, all you're gonna do is add add the instructions on how yes. to do it. To, okay. to go in and, and and enable automation macros because on on MacBooks that is automatically disabled in Excel and on Windows it is automatically enabled. So if you had a MacBook and you tried to run it, then a lot of the yeah, macros would not work. Right. Right. So for those of you who have asked questions about that, that's how you fix that. I'll send out an email this week after I put in some updates. Okay, doke. Well, you can check that out at theoryofdfs.com. James is at paydirt underscore dfs. I'm at Blender HD, hit that thumbs up button. Give me, hit the like button, smash the like button, smash it, hit it, it. punch it, do whatever you want with the like button. Helps us out. Free content here. We got tons of, tons of other stuff later today. They got NBA. We got uh, MLB, PGA, MMA, XFL, XFL stuff. We got college basketball. We got everything here at Roto Grinders. So sign up, get a combo premium package. Click on that link in the description, get $10 off your first month. And I will be back tomorrow answering your dfs strategy questions like i always do monday through friday 11 o'clock eastern on the dfs pregame show on rotogrinders.com